Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Turn with me, if you would, tonight to Mark chapter 3. I want to add a little couple verses here in our, in our series on living the life of a disciple. Mark chapter 3, I was not able on Sunday night to complete what I wanted to get through on Sunday night, so I didn't want to push through that without taking time to really make sure we took time to hear what the Bible's saying about this. Mark chapter 3, though, I want to add a couple verses here in relationship to our study in this series. As a disciple, we have the privilege for those who develop to that degree. Are you a disciple just because you're born again? What happens when you get born again? What are you, what are you supposed to go through? Conversion. Conversion, convert stage. And then you're supposed to learn the letters of the New Testament, both through the teaching in your church, you studying them as well. What are the letters? What are they? Which ones are they? They're in your Bible. Which ones are they? Romans through Revelation. Those are the letters that you and I know are written to us, the church. When we start learning through those scriptures who we are and living that out, we become the second stage of a believer, which is what? Tell me. An epistle, living letter. If we walk out the word of God and start developing and maturing through submission to the truth, developing our spirit, man, growing in who we are in Christ, we can come to the third stage, which is a... Disciple. There's still a fourth stage, which is ministry, which is the ultimate place God has for you as it relates to what you're called to do in the body of Christ. Mark chapter 3, as Jesus was working in his life and ministry to begin to develop and prepare disciples, I want to show you the very first thing he did relating to his disciples that we don't want to forget about if we are a disciple of Jesus. One of the most significant things, of course, all of us should know. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Notice every single time there's a reference in these two verses to Jesus. Using the words he or him. You ought to underline and make a note of them. Notice how many times Jesus is referred to in these verses. And he, first reference. Are you guys in Mark 3, 13? Yes, no, that's two of you. Suzanne is there, Kathy's there. Anybody else there? Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And underline it, he went up on a mountain. And he called to, underline it, him, those he himself wanted. And they came to what? They came to him. 14. Then he appointed 12, the initial 12, that underline this please, that they might be what? That they might be with him. And that he then might send them out to preach and to have power, verse 15 says, to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Clearly, if we're a disciple of Jesus, we're doing what Jesus did. We have that power through the Holy Spirit. And you and I have, therefore, the same ability to do what Jesus did. Verse 14 is what I want you to see. To be a disciple of Jesus, you got to remember your first and primary calling since you've been born again. Your first and primary calling is to be with him. Amen. Is to be with him. Spend time with him. How are you going to be his disciple 
if you're not spending time with him. So clearly our first calling as a disciple is that we might be with him. And this is what we are going back through with the gentleman in our time together. Now Brandy's doing the same thing. One of the ways that you spend time with him is in the word. Amen. He is the word. But you also do in church and you also do in times of prayer. You need to develop an understanding of how to have a prayer life and understand how to use that prayer life. Praying to the Holy Spirit is one of the easiest ways that you can learn to develop time and prayer with God. But we're, we're to be drawn to him and be with him as our primary focus as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we certainly can't walk out the life of a disciple if we're not drawn near to him. He's the one we're becoming like. Amen. Go back to Galatians 5 tonight. With that thought in mind, Galatians chapter 5. So this is where we left off on Sunday night. I'm going to pick it back up here because I started into these verses and I did not have time to really get through this in, in a complete form and then finish up tonight what we were talking about. So we've been going over all the very traits or characteristics, if you want to call them, attributes of what a disciple actually walks in. So number one, a disciple abides in God's word. John 8, 31 and 32. They know the truth then and the truth sets them free. So a disciple literally abides or becomes one with the word of God. Number two, Jesus must be your first love. Luke 14, 26. Number three, Jesus also teaches us in Luke 14, 27 that a disciple lives to do what? Fulfill the Father's will. That's taking up our cross. Fulfilling his will. Number four in the following verses in Luke 14, a disciple has to be willing to forsake some things. All things. A disciple has to be willing to forsake anything. Now, it doesn't mean you give up everything you got. It's saying you don't let anything in your life hinder you from walking with him. What Hebrews calls a weight, sin or a weight, anything that's going to hinder you walk with God, if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to forsake it if you want to truly develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Any good amens on that one? Number five, in John 15, we saw there in verses 1 through 8 that a disciple, in the latter part of those verses, 7 and 8, a disciple walks by faith and not by sight. They get results. A disciple walks by faith clearly and not by sight, just as Jesus himself did. Amen? And then we saw in John 13, verses 34 and 35, that a disciple does what? Walks in the love of God. Now, we've been really camping out on this one. Because we've seen all the different aspects of what the Bible reveals is a result of either walking in love or not walking in the love of God. And pretty much everything about your walk with God hinders off of this love walk. And this is why it's so important to understand it. Your faith won't work without walking in love. You open yourself, total, open, your, open yourself up to total prey to the enemy. If you don't walk in love, if you don't forgive, guess what? The Heavenly Father can't forgive you. Torturers have access to your life, he said. Not only that, but you and I got to understand too that walking in love is significant for me and you to truly walk in a position of knowing God, walking in the light of God, walking free from darkness, no longer being tripped up by darkness. If we walk in the love of God, the light of God, then we're not blinded from truth from the Bible. We've, we've seen so many different things that are critical to this love walk. And the love walk is twofold. It's how I walk in relationship to you, but it's also me walking in revelation of the love God has for me. Amen. So it's both sides. Amen? Amen? So in Galatians 5, as we talked about Sunday night, this is a, we're, we're walking through different keys that help us 
as a believer, how then, pastor, how do we walk in the love of God? So I know we've covered a lot here in just a few moments, just reviewing though. So number one, to walk in the love of God, what do you got to do? Renew your mind to the love of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You have to renew your mind to the love of God. The Bible's clear. In Romans 12, 2, you're not conformed to the world. You're transformed by the renewing, by the renewing of your mind. If you don't renew your mind to the word of God concerning love, how are you going to walk in it? You're not. You're not going to be transformed into that love walk. And as I told you on Sunday night, in renewing your mind. So we're talking about how, pastor, how do we walk in the love of God? What will help me? What will help me as a believer to walk in the love of God? Renew your mind to the word of God about God's love. So what's the greatest place to camp out and do that on? 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through, 8. 4 through 8. Those are the love verses, man, that tell you all about the love of God. And if you really take time to meditate on those things and renew your mind to them, your life can be transformed as you continue to renew your mind to those truths. The second thing we talked about, not only do you need to renew your mind to the love of God, Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God is already in you. Say, it's in me. So what do we got to do? Number two, you got to recognize it's there. You got to recognize or acknowledge that that love is already there. We talk about loving and walking in the love of God. We're not talking about walking in something that God alone has. We're talking about something we have. Because that's the first fruit of our recreated human spirit. Romans 5, 5 says hope does not disappoint because the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we need to know it's already there. Recognize that it's already there. Acknowledge it's already there. Say I already have it. How are you going to walk in what you don't acknowledge is there? You're probably not going to. So you got to realize that when you're making the choices to walk in love, you got to acknowledge it's already there. And because of the very fact that it clearly tells us that love was shed abroad in our hearts, and it refers to the very fact, as we're going to see in just a minute, that God is love. The third thing we taught you about walking in the love of God, and I'm telling you, I would love to spend about three weeks on this. You got to realize this. What, what is it not? It's not an emotion. Most people only look at love as an emotion. See, the problem is when you talk about falling in and falling out of love, you're talking about human love. Now, talking about God's love. God's love is not a feeling and it is not an emotion. It'll change your feelings. And it'll change your emotions. If you want to see your emotions and feelings change, especially towards somebody else, start walking in the love of God. Because it'll change your feelings and your emotions. The Bible's clear. Romans 5, 5. God's love was shed abroad where? Where was it shed abroad in? Your heart. Now that's referring to your spirit, man. Not your soul. Where do feelings and emotions come from? Your soul. Not your spirit, man. So it's not an emotion. We've got to get this through our hearts and get into revelation in our heart. God's love is not an emotion. It is not based on emotions. It's not based on how I feel about somebody. Uh, I mean, when Jesus said, love your enemies, a lot of people say, I don't see how I could do that. That's because you're going by feelings and emotions. It's not an emotion. If you're going to continue to think of love or relate it, and I taught you this when we talked about this on Sunday night, what do we condition through the natural man to actually act upon love as? An emotion. That's how we did so through the natural man. None of us had the love of God in us before we were born again. So our love was based on conditional aspects of what we felt or what we didn't feel. So a lot of times when people say, well, I just don't love him anymore. So what you're saying if you're a believer is you lost the love of God. It's not in your spirit anymore. Because that's not true. What you're really saying is you think love is an emotion and it's not. 
For any believer to ever say, I just don't love him anymore, you just prove to me you do not understand the love of God. You still think it's an emotion. Has nothing to do with that. You want to deal with your emotions? Choose to walk in the love of God and watch your emotions change. So I can't emphasize that enough. I'm telling you, that is absolutely critical for me and you to understand about walking in the love of God. The fourth one we're looking at here in Galatians 5, these are all keys to walk in the love of God. Hope I'm not boring you. So again, what was the first one? Remind me quickly. Renew your mind. Second one. Do what now? Recognize it's in there. Third one. Remind yourself. It's not an emotion. It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on emotion. It's in there. It's in there. So here's the fourth one. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. I already told you this Wednesday. I don't have time to focus a lot of attention on this. But the phrase here, verses 16 to 26, where the word spirit comes up, is capitalized in most English translations. And it's incorrect. Now, we're not telling you the Bible's incorrect. No, the English translators who translated this into English were no different than me and you. They were people studying the original context, in this case, of the Greek and Aramaic, and they were doing their best to figure out if this was actually talking about the Holy Spirit or our spirit. And the initial English translators thought it was the Holy Spirit, but it is not. It's our spirit. There's not a battle in you between the Holy Spirit and your flesh. There's a battle in you between your new spirit man and your flesh. If you don't believe that, go study Romans 7. Because Paul talks about that battle in Romans 7. He talks about this very fact that the things I want to do, the new man, the new spirit man, I don't do, allowing sometimes the flesh to rule. The things I don't want to do that the flesh wants to do, I sometimes do. Oh my gosh, how am I going to get delivered from this? Jesus Christ made it possible. That you can walk in the rule of the new man. So the capitalization here is incorrect. There were no capitalizations in the original language. It was totally added by English translators later on. I don't have time to go back and prove all that. John 15 will prove that as well because this is referring to the fruit of your new spirit, man. Verse 16, Paul here said, By the Holy Spirit, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not do what? Walk in your new spirit, man, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So if I walk in my new spirit, man, I certainly won't allow emotions to rule me. I'll say that probably about five more times. If, if I walk in my new spirit, man, I won't allow emotions to rule me. Emotions are part of that old nature. If you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts, the desires of the flesh. 17, because the flesh... Lust against the spirit, in essence, is in opposition to your spirit, man. And the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. Say contrary. So again, your spirit is now in a contradiction with your old soulish nature. And this is why your spirit needs to rise up and learn to dominate and get your soul submitted as the servant instead of the other way around. Too many Christians born again are still living with their soul as the lead in their life and everything else submitted to what their soul wants. And once you're born again, you're now a total man, right, guys? Yes, guys, yes, and maybe no. You're now a total man. You now have been recreated in the inside of a new spirit. You now have a total being once again, spirit, soul, and body. So now you got to learn to do what? Get that spirit man to dominate. And the soul now becomes servant to the spirit man. And the body is just a slave to do what you tell it. So understand this very clearly, verse 17, this flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary 
to one another, underline this, so that you do not do the things you wish. Who you? Spirit. Your spirit man. So see, this is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about you, the spirit man. Realize when the Bible in the New Testament ever refers to you as a first person. It's not referring to your soul. It's not referring to your body. You've got to remind yourself all the time, I'm a spirit, have a soul, and I live in a body. If I am a spirit, and it's referring to me in the first person, who's it referring to? Spirit man. Spirit man. So last part of verse 7. You, spirit man, you're spirit man. You do not do the things that you wish if you let your what? Flesh rule. If your flesh rules, guess what it's going to do? It's going to cause you to do something contrary to what your spirit man, you, the real you, wants to do. I know none of you have ever had that happen with your flesh since you've been born again. But it's happened, hasn't it? Verse 18, but, notice this, but if you are what? Led by the Spirit. Then guess what? You are not under the law, or in other words, any longer concerned about any issues with the law. Because if you're walking by your Spirit, as you're about to see, you're going to walk in love. And love's going to cause all these other fruits to come out. And you're never going to violate anything of God's law. 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Then he goes through them all. I'm not focusing on those again. We don't need to. A lot of people, as I said Sunday night, they want to focus on their old life. I did this, I did that. Who cares? Who cares? Guess what happened in your old life? It died. It's gone. All things have become new. Talk about your spirit, man. So see, as long as you want to focus about going backward and looking at all the old things you did, guess what you're focusing on when you do that? The flesh. I don't need to do that. If I will walk in the spirit, what will I not do? I'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some people are just sadly deceived to think, well, we got to go back and know all about our past. No, we don't. Paul said, I forget what's behind, man. You kidding me? I'm glad that old life's gone. He, he could have brought up all these bad things he did to the church. Holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. He watched Stephen literally get stoned to death. And then guess what? Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and dealt with him. So realize that you and I are to do what? Put to pass all of the aspects of our flesh. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. So this is your new spirit, man. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, you're not going to violate not just Ten Commandments. You're not going to violate any aspect of God's law if you simply walk in the fruit of the Spirit. 25. Notice this. Uh, excuse me, uh, 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are, those who are. Meaning what? Those who recognize it. Those who acknowledge, I'm his. I belong to him. If you acknowledge you belong to him in any moment of time that you want to get carnal or fleshly, guess what you'll do? You'll crucify those fleshly passions. If you recognize you're his, then that means, if I recognize I'm his... Those who are Christ, if I recognize that, I will not do what? He said, I will not, I've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I will not let my flesh control me. But here's the key. I got to recognize I belong to him. Those who are Christ's are Christ. Meaning what? He purchased you. I belong to him. If I acknowledge I belong to him, guess what I'm not going to do? Act like I don't belong to him. Can I get a better amen? 
He goes on to say, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, walking in the rule of our new man, let us also what? walk in the Spirit. Excuse me, if we live in the Spirit, let me back up. If we live in the Spirit, born again. So live in the Spirit here means you're born again. Are you born again? Yes. Then you're living in the Spirit. If, you, if you're alive, in essence, in the Spirit, your spirit man's alive, what should we do? Walk in it. If that new spirit is alive and new, walk in it. Walk in that new spirit, man. 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So if we live in the spirit, if we're born again, we should do what? We should therefore walk with that spirit ruling us. So what's number four of keys that would help us to walk in the love of God? Uh, you got to do what? You got to be led by your spirit, man. Got to be led by your spirit, man. Uh, back to verse 16. Walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're led by your spirit, man, what's going to be the response? The fruit of the spirit. Do I have to learn all the fruit of the spirit? No. If, you, if, you, why, if we needed to learn all the fruit of the spirit to walk in them, why did Jesus say, I give you one commandment? Exactly. Love. Because right. guess what happens if you walk in love? Joy, Everything. peace, all these things follow. You're not going to walk in the love of God and not have them as a result. So we focus on walking in love. When we focus on walking in love, the other fruits will follow them. Self-control will follow. You're not going to walk in love and not walk in self-control. If you walk in the love of God, you're going to walk in self-control. Because what's controlling you? Think about it. What's controlling you? Your new spirit man. If, you're, if your new spirit man's controlling you, your flesh isn't. Guess what you're going to have? Self-control. So you got to walk in love. If you choose to walk in love, so how do we walk in love, number four? Another key to walk in love, i got to let my spirit man dominate. Now, we could teach on this for, again, weeks at a time again as well. But let me just give you a real quick advice, a little key nugget of how you walk in your spirit man on a day-in and day-out basis. How do I practically do that on a day-in and day-out basis so that I can walk in the love of God? How do I walk with my spirit dominating in a practical sense, day in and day out, so I can walk in the love of God. Well, the three-part being that you are, all of them have a voice. The voice of your spirit is your conscience. Conscience. You can find this all through the book of Acts in the New Testament. Your spirit has a voice. It's called conscience. The world could never figure this out. They're like, well, you got this conscience about you. No, that's called the voice of your spirit, man. Even as a sinner, your spirit has a voice. Remember when Jesus caught the woman, excuse me, remember when the men brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus? What did he say to them? Whichever is without sin, throw the first stone. Guess what their conscience did? Convicted them. Their inner conscience convicted them. They knew they'd all sinned, so they dropped their stones and walked away. So realize the voice of your spirit man is what? Conscience. It's an inward knowing. What's the voice of your soul? It has a voice. Feelings. Right? Excuse me, I'm sorry. I apologize. Got them out of order. Reason. Reason, which can cause your feelings to dominate you. Amen? So reasoning is the voice of your soul because it refers to your aspect of your mind that causes your feelings to start taking control. But reasoning is what the disciples did over and over. Remember when Jesus fed the 4,000? They get in the boat and they're starting to go to the other side and they forgot to bring bread. And he starts talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, the teaching of the Pharisees. They thought, oh, he's mad because we, we forgot to bring bread. He had just fed 4,000 supernaturally. Before that, he did 5,000, over 5,000. 
And listen, he said, why are you reasoning? Listen to this. Why are you reasoning among yourselves? How is it that you cannot understand, discern what I'm talking about? Can't you even understand what I'm I'm trying to explain to you? No, why? Because you're going by reasoning. You're going by your soul. So when I'm going by my soul, guess how I know I'm going by my soul? Reasoning. And then the voice of your body, your external body, feelings, how it feels. Guess what your body does? Tells you when you're hot. You're really not hot, your body is. Guess what your body does? Tells you it's cold. Tells you when it's hungry. Yeah, your stomach starts growling. So your, your voice of your body is feelings. So when we understand these three voices, we can know who's leading us. Right? If my conscience is leading me, guess what I know? I'm being led by my spirit, man. So how, pastor, can I be more led by my spirit so that I can walk in the love of God? Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. Before you spout off and say something to somebody, stop and take the time. Be quick to hear, the Bible says. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. What am I listening to? Conscience. Listen to your conscience. Ask yourself. Let your soul ask yourself, how should I respond to this? Should I say what I was just thinking? Should I react with this temperament? Should I react with this attitude? If you listen to your conscience and it's out of line with love, guess what your conscience is going to do? It's going to bring conviction on you and say, "Uh uh-uh. So if I respond to that, what am I going to respond to? Love. Your spirit's going to dominate. And therefore, your reasoning won't, and nor will your feelings. Your spirit will dominate. Now, that's a lot in a very short time talking about how to be led by your spirit, man. We're going to get into the series again about developing your spirit, man, and we'll talk more about that. But you got to understand, very clear, verse 16, if I walk in the spirit, if I'm led by my spirit, man, then guess what I won't do? I won't walk in the flesh. I won't go by reasoning. I won't go by feelings. I'll go by love. I'll go by what my spirit man knows. Any good amens on that? So realize you got to learn to be led by your spirit man. And the quickest way to do that is to start listening to your conscience. Take time to keep your mouth shut. Take time to quiet your brain. And take time to listen to your heart and take a moment to look inward and see what your conscience is telling you to do. Right? And if you do that, you'll walk in love. Well, I don't know. Am I supposed to help this person or not? What's your conscience telling you? Because go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. You know, just because somebody's in need doesn't mean you're supposed to help them. I know Jesus said if anybody asks you, you give to them. But if you look at that in context, it doesn't mean every time somebody walks up and asks you for money or asks you for something, you just give them whatever they ask. Ladies and gentlemen, I will promise you, if you give a drug addict money, guess what he's going to do? Go buy drugs. All you're doing is helping him destroy his life. Jesus isn't saying you just go give money and and help to everybody around. If that was true, Jesus would have done it. He didn't help everybody. He was led by God. How was he led by God? Through his spirit, man. You got to be the same way. Walking in love doesn't mean I have to help everybody. It means I help all that the spirit of God, that my spirit, by the Holy Spirit bearing witness is leading me to help through my conscience. Thank you for your amens about that. Now, I want you to see this in 1 John chapter 3. going to give you a couple more keys to helping you walk in love. Amen? Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. 
1 John 3, 16 through 19. By this we know love because he did what? He laid down his life for us. We also ought to therefore do what? Lay, our, lay down our lives for the brethren. 17, but whoever has this world's goods has the capability to help somebody who is a brother and sees a brother in need and shuts up his heart. He does what? So in other words, his heart's dealing with him to help him. So here his heart's dealing with him to help him, but he doesn't listen. How then does the love of God abide in him? See, it's not saying to help everybody. It's saying if you shut your heart up, in other words, you don't listen to what your heart's telling you to do. You still with me? If I see somebody in need, but I shut my heart up. What do you mean your heart? Uh, my conscience is telling me to help them, but I'm saying, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to help them. Well, then how would the love of God be abiding in you? It won't be. It won't be dominating your life in essence because guess what? You're not responding to it. You're not doing what your conscience is telling you to do. 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Now, that doesn't mean you should give words that aren't lovely. <laughs> this is saying that you don't just, don't just walk in context of love by what you say with your mouth, word or tongue, but notice this, in deed and in truth. One actual uh, translation, and if you look it up, says it this way in the Greek, it says to show the truth by actions. Show the truth of God's love by actions. 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall therefore assure our hearts before him. How? By actions. By actions. So I want you to get this. Write this down, please. Number five, how do I walk in the love of God, Pastor? What are some things I need to do to walk in the love of God? Number five, say this. Love Love. is a choice. choice. Say it. Love Love. is a choice. So it's telling you here you don't just love in word or in truth, what you say, but by deeds and actions. Meaning what? It's a decision. If I walk in love by an aspect of a deed or an action, how am I going to do that? You chose to do so. You're not just automatically going to do it. I'm not just automatically going to love my wife. I have to choose to do so. I'm not going to automatically love a church family member. I have to choose to do so. I'm not going to automatically love my enemies. I have to choose to do so. It's a choice. It's a decision. So love itself, again, not being an emotion, is nothing more than what? It's a choice. I can choose to love or I can choose not to because it's an action. It's something you do. It's just like faith. Faith without what? Works is dead. So realize you and I got to recognize that love's in me. Say it's in me. But how does it come out? Through actions. Through what you do. Well, how do those actions take place? They won't happen if you don't choose to walk in love. You won't show the actions of love unless you make a decision to do so. You got to make a decision to forgive. Come on. You got to make a decision to show people the love of God even when they're not real lovely. You got to make a decision, a choice to act upon what love does in relationship to your spirit man, knowing clearly how love would respond according to the word. Treating others the way you would want to be treated. So say it again. Love, love. is a choice. That's all it is. It's a choice. I can choose to walk in God's love tonight or I can choose not to. I can choose to walk in love, God's love tomorrow. I can choose to get upset with somebody, cold shoulder, not going to talk to them. That's not love. No. Or I can choose to act like I would anyway in any situation given that I would obviously want to treat them in a way that would be right no matter how they treat me. 
Because God's love is unconditional. Say it again, love's a choice. So it's nothing more than a decision that you and I make to act upon to see it work in our life. Dropping down to chapter 4, now as simple as that is, that's powerful when you understand it. And a lot of Christians still don't. They don't realize that it's nothing more than a choice. They're still waiting for the feeling thing. And when I feel, no, it's not an emotion. It is not an emotion, it's God himself. And you have to choose to act on it. 1 John chapter 4, drop down here to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to give you the last one. Giving you six keys to how to help you walk in the love of God day in and day out. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is what? It is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So first of all, realize you can't walk in love if you clearly are not born again, because that love's not in you. So he says that everyone who loves is what? Born of God, and also what? Knows God. Why? Verse 8, because he who does not love does not what? Does not know God, for God is what? Now you could be born again and still not know him that well. So God is love. If you're going to walk in love, verse 7 doesn't say you just got to know God. It says you got to be born again. Right? By this, he says clearly in verse 7, everyone who loves is, first of all, what? Born of God. And second thing, so it takes two things. I got to be born of God. Once I'm born of God, say the love's in there. So what's the other thing that helps me walk in love? Pastor number 6, get to know love himself. Get to know love himself. God is love. If you don't fellowship with God, if you don't get close to God, if you don't walk close with God, you're going to have a harder time walking in the love of God. Because love is God himself. We're talking about agape, the God kind of love. If I choose to truly take time to spend with God and get to know God and get intimate in my relationship with God, it's going to make it that much easier. You listening? It'll make it that much easier to walk in love. Why? He's going to rub off on you. Love's already in there, but as you get close to him, it's going to rub off on you. You're going to start picking up more of the attribute of love and actions to your life because you're hanging out with God. That's a good thing. I said that's a good thing. Quick review. Six things to help us walk in the love of God. One, renew your mind to God's love. Where do we do that again? Where do we do that specifically? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Amen. Well, I got to renew my mind to the word like the whole Bible to walk in love? No, to what love is. First right. Corinthians 13, 4, 8. That'll tell you all of what love is. Renew your mind to it. Number two, I got to also do what? I got to recognize that his love is in me. Romans 5, 5. It's already there. Recognize it's there. And therefore, number three, I also got to do what? Remember, it's, it's not an emotion. Number four, learn to be governed or led by your spirit, man, by listening to the voice. Of your spirit, listen to your conscience, because the more you follow the leading of your spirit, that first fruit is going to come out. Number five, love is a, it's just a decision. It's just a choice. Don't just love in word or, uh, word or in tongue, but also in deed or truth. Act upon it. Do what love does. And then number six, what is love? Love, love is God himself, so what do you need to do? Get to know him. Get to know God himself. You're born again. You're a child of God and you know God, love. Well, guess what? You're going to walk in the love of God. Read it one more time. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Everyone who loves, everyone who loves, everyone who loves is both born of God and knows God. But he who does not love or in essence walk in this love clearly does not what? Know God. 
for God is love. All right, one last attribute of a disciple and we're done. One set of verses. Go to Matthew 28, back to one of the verses we started with. This whole series, we're kind of making a full circle here. Matthew 28. So the sixth attribute or characteristic of a disciple is walking in love. As Jesus clearly said in John 13, 35, all, all will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. There's one last seventh attribute, characteristic, if you want to call it, of a disciple. One last characteristic or attribute of a disciple. And it'll be really simple to touch on one set of verses, and we're going right back to where we started part of this series on. We started in Matthew 16, but we also spent a lot of time here in Matthew 28 as well. Matthew 28. So as I've said for years in this church and reminded you about what Jesus told us here, verse 19, he said, go therefore. Go therefore, why? Verse 18, because all authority have been given to him in heaven and earth. So now go therefore and do what? Make Tell me out loud. Make disciples. make disciples of what? So what's the goal? What's the goal of what we're here to do as believers in Christ? Make disciples of all people. Now you have a part to play in that. You have a part to play in that because in relationship to what you're called to do within the body of Christ as a part of the body, you're supposed to iron sharpens iron. You're supposed to be a strength to one another, helping each other to understand what it means to be a disciple, walk as a disciple of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to see this Matthew 28 reading on. He said, go therefore make disciples of all nations. That's the goal baptizing them. Now, baptize here means to immerse them, immerse them in the name of or relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 is the focus. Teaching them to what? Observe. Observe how many? All things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe. How do you make disciples? Teaching them to observe. What is the seventh characteristic of a disciple, Pastor? You ready? Yes. A disciple remains teachable. Yes. A disciple remains teachable. When all of a sudden you think you know more than your pastor or you know more than everybody else, you're no longer a disciple because you're no longer teachable. When you're no longer teachable, you've come to the place to some degree where you may have thought you have arrived, and in doing so, guess what? You're never going to fully arrive this side of heaven. Doesn't mean you can't become a disciple. Sure you can. But every disciple has to remain what? Teachable. To be teachable, I mean, we could teach on this one subject for a long time, but we shouldn't have to. To be teachable means I'm also what? Correctable. Now, teachable if you're not correctable. If somebody can't correct you, I mean, if you come to leadership and you think you got all the answers and you're saying all these things and they're saying, well, no, or somebody who is a form of leadership who knows the Bible, and that's not just everybody, that's somebody who knows leadership that we recognize, and they say, well, no, here's what the Bible says, and you're going to argue with them, you're not going to be a disciple. You listening? Can I help you? I wouldn't be standing up here if I wasn't a disciple. There should be no pastor in the pulpit that's not already a disciple and already stepped into the call of ministry for their life. I know what it takes to be a disciple. I know what it takes to make disciples. I know what it takes to become one. And I can tell you what Scripture clearly teaches about the process of doing so and things you got to deal with. And if you're going to come to me and ask me questions about your life, about your walk with God, about who you are in Christ, and I tell you what the Bible says, and you're going to argue or walk away and disagree, well, I don't agree with that. Let me help you. You're not teachable. Well, who said you know everything? I didn't say I did. 
I'm going to tell you what I know for a fact. What I know will make a disciple out of you. What I know will help you understand who you are in Christ. And what I know about how this process works because I've lived it out. So, and I still do. If you don't, if you think that I've arrived, let me help you. Ask her. Every time I go sit under my pastor or he comes here, guess what I have? You don't have to. I'm not telling you you have to. I don't trust my brain. I don't trust my brain. You want to trust your brain? You're trusting your old flesh. I don't trust my brain. You know what I do? I have a pad to write notes on. When God speaks to me, I write stuff down. Because I want my, quote unquote, my attention span to gain a whole lot higher ascendancy to what I heard so I can hold on to it. You know why? I'm teachable. I want to be teachable. I want to be correctable. And I'm going to remain correctable. My pastor knows, all my spiritual leaders know, if there's something you see about my life needs to be corrected, don't even hesitate. And they don't. Don't even hesitate. I don't mean like there's any major sin in my life they're correcting. There isn't. But I'm talking about little adjustments, little things they may see or whatever that help me. Help me how to understand how to walk as a stronger disciple of Christ. How to walk as a pastor anointed by God to help my church family. I'll tell you what, nobody has fully arrived. Paul, what did Paul say about this? What did Paul, the great apostle? Come on, what did the great apostle say? I haven't fully arrived, but I'm on my way. Come on, somebody. So realize, even Paul said, I'm still teachable. I'm still teachable. I'm not going to be unteachable. I'm not going to be in a position where I can't be taught through the other apostles or, or the Lord himself helping me through them as they were the early starters of the church. But you got to understand a disciple is what? He's clearly teachable. So if a disciple's teachable, what does that mean? He's correctable. Say he's correctable. Number two, not only is he correctable, guess what he's doing? He's seeking out teaching. A disciple knows I got to seek out teaching. To be teachable, I got to seek it out. I got to go after it. I said, I got to go after it. I sought for over two years as a pastor to find a pastor because I knew I needed somebody to teach me still. And I'm telling you, it's amazing to me how many Christians don't realize that if you don't go after teaching that God has for you. That doesn't mean everybody out here. Talking about ones that God's called to teach you the word of God. So what that means, showing up to church. Hearing the word preached. Uh, it's amazing to me, in 34 years, coming up on 34 years as a pastor, how many times I've watched people in and out of the church, different times, come and go, different things happen in their life, whatever. And so much of what they're now going through that's not working or problems they're having, yet I taught on for years had they been here to hear it and receive it, they would have never had a much, a much of the problems that they're having today if they'd have just received it and put it into practice. God knows what you need. So God knows what you need. That's why you don't just find a church, because you are the church. What do you find? You find your shepherd, the one God knits your heart with, because God knows what you're going to need to hear. God knows how you need to hear it. Better amen than that. I don't, don't misunderstand me. I've sat before and heard my pastor preach something. That's been a long time. That's when I was a younger pastor. I've heard him preach stuff before. It's like, man, I don't know if I can agree with that, but I'm not here saying I'm not sitting there saying, I don't agree with that. I'm, th- I'm thinking, I don't know if I can agree with that, but you know what I've learned to do? He's far smarter than me. He's done this longer than me. I'm not going to say I don't agree. I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek that out. And if I'm not sure, I'm going to talk to him and ask him to give me better clarification. This is what the disciples did. When the disciples didn't understand anything, you know what they did? They asked Jesus questions. Can you expound on that further? When Jesus talks about eating his body and drinking his blood, even the disciples said, this is a hard saying, Lord. This is a tough thing to get a hold of. 
But see, obviously they didn't clearly understand what he was saying. Amen? So you got to remain teachable. To remain teachable, one, you got to be correctable. Two, you got to seek it out. Because if you don't seek out the teaching of God's word, you're not still being what? Taught what God needs for you to know. Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. So thank God you and I can be disciples of Jesus Christ. And not only what it takes to get there will bring us to that point, but what it took for us to get there is what will keep us there as a disciple. It's important to understand it's not enough just to become one. It's critical to remain one. We saw earlier in this actual series in John chapter 6, many of his disciples in that setting left him and followed him no more. Why would they leave him and follow him no more, church? Because they were no longer teachable. They were no longer teachable, and because they were no longer teachable, couldn't receive what he said, and they walked away from him and sadly followed him no more. May that not be us in Jesus' name. The Bible warns us in the last days that there will be what? There will be a falling away in relationship to the body of Christ, that the love of many will grow cold. We got to guard against that. If you, if you live your life as a true disciple of Jesus, can I help you? Your love for him will not grow cold. But you got to do the things to maintain that walk with God. I refer to it all the time, similar to like example, you know, if you had a house that you bought. I remember one house we bought. The yard was in really bad shape, a lot of weeds, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a lot of work to get that yard in good shape, get rid of all the weeds, right, get the grass growing again. But the initial work was really tough. But if you do some maintenance and upkeep, it's not as hard to keep it nice. What if you don't do the maintenance and upkeep? You're going to be right back where you started, starting all over again. Sadly, a lot of Christians, for some reason, want to do that with their walk with God. I wouldn't do that. Amen. Do the things to maintain your walk with God. Maintain your discipleship, walk with God, and it's a whole lot easier. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.